Good to see you this morning. If you don't know me, you're new at Visiting. My name's Paul. I'm one of the leaders here. It's my job to take us through our next sermon in Nehemiah. So if you've got your Bibles, it'd be great if you could have them open in Nehemiah chapter 4. The words will be on the screen for you as well, but it's all, always really helpful to have the God's Word open in front of you and see the words um, written down right in front of you. I live just up the road, literally just, just up that road there, less than about 400 meters away. So I walk these streets every day. I'm always up and down these streets. And, and at the front of the terraced houses, loads of the terraced houses in this area, you'll see these little short stubs, like metal stubs sticking out of the walls. And they're, they're relics kind of of the metal railings that used to once sit there. And most of them have been taken away because during the war, these railings, they were taken to be used in the war effort in the Second World War. They were taken to be used for ammunition. So people at the time, they, would, they knew they were in the war. They felt that war. They gave to the war. So I walked these streets knowing that we as a country were wanting a war, a war that secured our freedom, our safety, but a war that was in the past. So on one level, it doesn't really affect my life too much now. You know, I'm not fearful of Nazi soldiers coming, walking down the streets. But today's passage, I believe as I read this and have read this this week, is going to remind us that as Christians, we are in a war. A war which is ongoing and a war which affects us all. So let me pray for us and then we'll, we'll read. Father, I thank you so much that we get to gather here as your people, that we get to hear your word, that we have the privilege of doing this and the freedom that you have granted us this morning. Father, help us never to take that for granted. And Father, as we hear your word, I pray by your spirit, you would, in a, the depths of our hearts, transform us, challenge us, refresh us, lift our hearts, our minds, and our eyes to see the wonderful and beautiful face of the Lord Jesus Christ and what you call us to in and through him. Amen. So we are 500 years before Jesus Christ came. And Jerusalem, the, the kind of capital of God's, God, God's city, is in a terrible state. And God's people are incredibly vulnerable. The, the walls have been broken down, the gates have been ruined, and God's name has been dishonored. And God's people, led by a man called Nehemiah, Nehemiah, who's, uh, he's got the support of the most powerful man in the world and the most powerful nation in the world, the Persian nation. He has gathered all of God's people together, and together they are starting to rebuild the city. And last week, what we saw is this great, great account of all the people and all the diversity all across the city, all building the walls together. And then we arrive at chapter 4. Now, when Sambalat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, yes, what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall 
and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. So Sambala, he's like the bad guy. He, he comes front and center. We, we met him a couple of chapters ago, kind of just at the side, looking in at what God's people were doing. And he now comes front and, and center. And he's a Samaritan. That means he's from just north of where God's people are here. And he seems to be this influential political leader. He has, he has some degree of power in the area. And he hates what Nehemiah is doing. He hates what God's people are doing. And he's angry. He's angry at God's people. And it tells us here he's, he's filled with a rage. And he can't directly dispute a lot of what's going on in a, in a political way. Because don't forget the king of Persia is behind Nehemiah. So what he's doing and what he has been doing, it seems, is trying different strategies. Here he's, he's mocking and he's jeering. The word Jews, as it's used there, is derogatory. He's rallying others, so he gathers his army. He publicly mocks them. He's saying, you're pathetic. This is pathetic. And what he's doing, he's testing the resolve of God's people because what he wants to do, he wants the work to stop. And he's, he's taunting God's people as they work. You're too weak. I mean, they are, to be fair. He's totally missing the point of what's going on here. You're irrational. You can't do this. Look at the stones. They're not even fit for purpose. That's what he's pointing them to. This is too big a task for you. You're too weak. You're too vulnerable. You can't do this. What are you going to do? Are you going to pray it up? That's what he's saying. He's laughing at them. And then this kind of slimy, slippery sidekick. Tobias seems to kind of slide over. And he joins in. Is that it? Is that what you're giving your life for? A fox could knock that over. See, this is psychological warfare in many ways. He's trying to get into the heads. See, what they're presenting in these verses are half-truths. Wrong information, which is totally distorted. By all accounts, the stones were very ready to go. The wall was actually really thick. Some accounts put it at nine feet thick. And Nehemiah, what does he do? He responds here, as we see in verse 4. He responds to all of this by praying. That's his first his first place to turn, prayer. And he prays really honestly. It's really interesting because it's quite striking if you were to read his prayer and what he says. It's a little bit, you're reading it and you're like, whoa, really? He's praying that? He prays really honestly. God, give him justice. Give him justice, God. Make them captive in a foreign land. Count their sin against them. He reminds God of his own justice and his promises. He says, like you did for us, turn your anger upon them. Nehemiah, he prays for justice, but he leaves justice and vengeance with God. See, I find these verses really interesting because as you look across the Bible, you see a lot of prayers like this. See, we often think that we can't pray like, like Nehemiah does here. What we do, we almost swallow down our emotions and our feelings and our injustice and the way that we're reacting to situations and circumstances we find ourselves in. We don't be honest with God. We just kind of crack on and put a Christian face on our prayers. But the Bible's full of these prayers. Psalm 40, 74, Psalm 79. That's just two from a, a long list I could have given you. A long list of prayers like this. God invites us to come to him as his children in every situation. God invites us to take our thoughts, our feelings, our anger, our hurt, our fear to our Father. He invites us. If there is an injustice in your life, to pray for justice. 
I mean, we just heard about injustice in society. We're to pray for justice. But we are to trust the working out of justice to God, to leave vengeance with God, because he will have vengeance on his enemies and the enemies of his people. What does Nehemiah do? Nehemiah and the people, they focus on the task that God has given them. They are not distracted. They have a unity of purpose, a mind, the passage tells us, given by God. That implies what's being said there is God has given them this conviction, this unity of purpose to build. They have a focus and they have a resolve to join the wall together and they achieve it. That is a great achievement, what they do as a people and where they are. But the opposition isn't happy, verse 7. But when Sambalat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. When people who are bullies threaten and seek to control situations, when those who are trying to bully or control just carry on, it infuriates them. Insecurity can often erupt in rage and anger. And what happens is the opposition here, it seems to, to, to build in number and power. You see, the breaches, that's the, the gaps in the defense around the wall. They were starting to be closed. So God's people were now becoming less vulnerable. God's people were now becoming less insecure in the eyes of the nations. They were becoming more able to defend themselves. And so then the flip of that is they were now becoming more of a threat to the nations around them. And what's going on here, this is not just the, the walls that are being built, but this is a people who are being revived from out of the rubble here, is, is being brought up, is, being, is rising up a people. The opposition don't like it. So they unite all around. That's what verse 7 is showing. Sambalat from the north, Tobiah, the Ammonites from the east, the Arabs from the, the south, the Ashdodites from the west. They are surrounded north, east, south, and west on every side. And all of these people are, are, are plotting together to fight against Jerusalem. But because of the king's protection, they have to be careful. Instead, they seek to cause confusion. And the Jews under Nehemiah, they hear of it. I mean, this is scary. Don't forget, these guys are surrounded on all sides by enemies, and they all want to harm them. Everyone around them wants to harm them. So how do God's people respond firstly in this warfare? What do they do? They pray. You read it again. They pray. If we keep seeing things occurring in Scripture, we need to pay attention to what's going on. What do the people do? They pray. What did Nehemiah do? He prayed, and they set a guard. Praying doesn't mean inaction. Okay, praying doesn't mean an action. In fact, praying probably led them to set a guard, which was a sign both ways. It was a protection against attack, and the enemies who were all around know that they're ready, they're watching, they're alert. But it was also for the people within to strengthen them. We're ready, we will fight. Morning, evening, we're ready. We're watching and we're praying. And then these plans start to take shape. Verse 10, in Judah it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us 10 times, you must return to us. 
So in the lowest part of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans, with their swords, their spears, their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Okay, there's three different ways that God's people are destabilized here or people are trying to destabilize. And first of all, in verse 10, you get this internal flutter a kind of a seed of doubt, a, a weakness in the resolve. Maybe some fear or anxiety starting to creep in. And this focus on themselves, not God, causes anxiety to creep in. We are weak. We, we are weak, too weak. In verse 11, that external threat becomes apparent. There's kind of like this unseen enemy in many ways plotting evil. This threat that they're, they're going to do anything to stop the work. They're even threatening to come in amongst them and kill them without warning. I don't know about you, but that would be frightening, wouldn't it? Kill them without warning. That's what they're saying they're going to do. And in verse 12, it comes even closer to home because their own people, probably those who lived outside Jerusalem, all amongst these peoples who would come into work and go back out, they heard these other nations. They heard the talk. They saw what was going on, and they were feeling vulnerable not just in Jerusalem, but feeling vulnerable out in the land and threatened because of what's happening. And they tell them persistently, 10 times. It's really hard to, to persist, isn't it? To, to actually resist through when someone you love and someone who's close to you is telling you, stop it, stop it, stop it. Look, you'll be safer. We'll be safer. Just stop. It's going to be easier. Listen to what they're saying. Do what they want you to do. All these things des designed to, to play with people's fears, to to cast out, to weaken resolve, and ultimately they want to stop the work. This is a big threat to this rebuilding project. And Nehemiah, he knows it. What's really interesting, I think, from this whole account from Nehemiah, right at the start especially, you see he is amongst the people. He knows the people. He sees the fear on their faces. He understands what they're going through. He can read the situations. He can actually make really wise decisions because he's praying and because he knows the people. So he responds. It seems like maybe in verse 15 almost indicates there was a pause to, to make sure they got this right. And what he does in verse 13, he, he sets people and soldiers into key positions. He puts them in areas where he thinks that they might be weak. You get these long spears, these swords and bows, all these kind of weapons that show strength and offensive in many ways, offensive weapons to go front foot to give people something to look at, to strengthen them. And then what he does, he gathers the people together. Unity in warfare, unity in the battle, unity in these times is so important. He gathers the people together, gathering reminds us who we are, who God is. And he does this in the sight of the enemy. See, they would have seen this. They would have known what's going on. It's like, we're not scared. We will carry on. And he speaks to this gathered people in verse 14. He says, don't be afraid. He addresses the fear directly. Don't be afraid. But why? I don't know if you've ever been fearful, but if someone tells you not to be afraid, you need a reason not to be afraid, don't you? Otherwise, you just go on being afraid for, unless someone gives you a better reason not to be. Well, the better reason is remember God. Remember God. You have a reason not to be afraid. Remember God. He is great and he's awesome. He, he chooses specific language. That language is taking them right back to the Exodus. He's taken them to, to God's act in Israel throughout history. 
Remember what God did to Egypt. Remember what he did in pulling you out of Egypt and saving you through the Red Sea. Remember how he acted. Remember all the amazing things he's done. Don't be scared. Why? Because of God. He's on our side. In fact, it's irrational to be scared if God is with us. And then what he does, he makes them look left and right to turn, to see who it is you are fighting with and who you are fighting for. What do they see? When they look left and right on this wall, what do they see? When you look left and right on these pews? Family. Wives, sons, husbands, daughters, friends. People that they love, people that they would die for, people they know would die for them. Nehemiah is rallying God's people. Remember God. Remember God's people. Fight and build. For God, for his people, fight and build. What a rallying cry. That's what he's doing here. And then we see the, the people's response laid out. Verse 15. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half my servants worked on construction, Half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mails, coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah, who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great. And it's widely spread, and we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we labored at the work, and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who follow me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon <coughs> at his right hand. What's clear from this as we look at the operation, the, the, the opposition? It seems like the opposition weren't brave enough to attack. They knew that they didn't have enough to take on the king of Persia. And what this was all seeking to do was to sow confusion amongst them, to sow fear to sow doubt. And what Nehemiah does, he declares that God's frustrated their plan. That's what he says. God has frustrated their plan. And the people, what they do, they continue to work, but now they are ready. They are dressed for action. They're dressed for this battle. They're ready for the battle. And what it looks like, they carry the burden. So, so what that means is those who had to go outside the walls to get the materials, there's accounts of, of things being thrown at them. So what they would do, they would hold their, hold their weapon in one hand to be able to defend themselves as they carried their burdens. But the builders, those who would need both hands to work, um, they still carried the sword on their side. It was this visible sign. Look, God's people, we are building, but we're ready for action. We're in a battle here. And Nehemiah recognizing that the work is spread all across the wall, needs a way to know when people are in danger. So what he does, he sets up this, this a trumpet and a trumpet system. Josephus tells us he's like an historian at the time that he, would, he had um, trumpets every 500 feet to call people all together if someone attacks. But look again what Nehemiah does, verse 20. He points all the time, 
all the time back to God. God fights for us. This is God's battle. He fights for us. Constantly taking them back to God's action on their behalf in history. Exodus 14, Deuteronomy 1. God fights for his people. That's what he's showing them. And so they work diligently in this incredible task that they've been given together to build the wall of God's city. Nehemiah, he's, he's out there, he's leading by example, his, his personal bodyguard, that's what it seems to be with my servants, they are given to the people in verse 16. It's thought that these were like the highly trained soldiers possibly gifted to him from the king of Persia. And he gives them um, from around himself, because they were there for his protection, he gives them to be stationed visibly around the walls in key places to show strength. So the people could draw strength. And he calls people not to leave Jerusalem. He's calling them to, to the work. At the, at the nighttime, the danger's the worst. The, the danger of attack is the greatest. And so he, along with the other leaders, he stays morning and evening. They don't even change their clothes. Why? Because they want to be constantly ready. Constantly ready. God is calling his people to fight and build, to be dressed and ready for action. A people who know they've been given a God-given task and a people who know they are in a battle. You see, as, as Christians reading this today, it can seem so alien in a number of ways. All this talk of, of uh, building and fighting and battles and war and walls and gates, how does this apply to us? We're not physically in Jerusalem. We're not physically putting one stone onto, and that's how I would build a wall. I'm not a builder. You can see that's it. That's me putting a stone on top of another. Not physically putting one stone on top of another. We're not physically strapping on swords to our, I don't even know how you put a sword on. I have not got a clue how you put a sword on your side. We're not holding spears to fight these groups of people that are seeking to or threatening to attack us. But folks, as God's people, we are brought into the same story. As God's people, we are part of God's eternal plan. You see, the ultimate enemy of God's people, we're told, across the Bible was their sin and the death that resulted from it and the devil that was behind it all. You see, when the Lord Jesus Christ comes 500 years later, he is on one level the embodiment of everything that we see here. He steps forward into the brokenness on behalf of God's people. He was jeered, he was mocked, he was betrayed. And as he took that punishment, the consequences for all of our sin, our rejection of God that brought the alienation between us and God, as he destroyed the works of the devil, as he went through death and defeated death and then emerged victorious from the grave, you read that our enemies are defeated, our enemies are defeated in him. And he gives his followers this great commission, a task, Go and make disciples. Go and baptize new believers, proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming the kingdom. And teach these people to observe all that I have commanded you to live as Christians, to edify fellow believers, to build up fellow believers. This is the task of building and advancing the kingdom of God. And we, Cornerstone Church Liverpool, we Christians, we have been given this amazing privilege. We have been drawn into God's eternal plan for humanity. There is a point and a purpose to your existence. There is. And it is to make disciples and proclaim the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. To edify, to love, to serve, to build up other believers. But folks, as we do it, we're going to face opposition. You see, in Nehemiah, day, the, these opposing armies, the 
on many levels as empty threats. They, they didn't have the power that they were pretending to have. God's people, they had the protection of the king. So there's a lot of fear and scaremongering here. There's only so much that they could do. The Bible's clear that the Lord Jesus Christ is ruling and he is reigning right now. He did defeat the devil at the cross and the devil is bound. But the Bible also tells us that he and his spiritual forces still threaten and attack God's people in many ways, but they are restrained and controlled by the king. They are fearful of the king. And they know like we do that on that final day that there's gonna be a trumpet blast. And Jesus Christ is gonna return. And we'll see, we will see that victory achieved at the cross brought to a close over all of Jesus' enemies. Sin will be no more, death will be defeated, and the devil and all of his works will be destroyed forever. That is a day ahead of us. But that means that now we Christians, we are in a spiritual battle as we seek to build. And we are called in this time now to have a wartime mentality, knowing we are on the winning side. And so part of our problem, I feel, as we read this, and I think this has been my problem, as I have read this this week, and I'll be honest with you folks, really struggle to apply this to us. I applied it like I always do on Wednesday, and it was wrong. It didn't feel right. I changed it on Thursday. It didn't feel right. It was not till Friday night, which is really late for me, that I finally realized, thought to myself, okay, we're being drawn into this wartime mentality. I think I had tr trouble applying this, and I think we do. Why? Because I don't think that we see ourselves as in a battle. We might say it, but I don't think we see ourselves as in a battle. And I don't think we see ourselves as active in God's eternal plan. See, living as Christians now, we will face opposition. Just living as a Christian now means you will face opposition. You will face jeering and mocking and anger. We will face attempts to silence us. Political attempts. The power of social media. Mob rule. You will face pressure in employment scenarios. You're going to face pressure in relational situations you will face opposition for living as a, Christ, a Christian. And what's interesting is, folks, Jesus made it really clear that that would be the case. He told us. In John's gospel, he said this, they hate me, so they're going to hate you. In Matthew's gospel, he says this, they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Paul, in 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, he says this, all who live a godly life will suffer persecution. I find that really interesting because what he's saying is just living the godly life of a believer will bring opposition. I find that a challenge. Big challenge. But we should not be surprised when we face it. So how do we build and fight in the faces of, of opposition? I've just got four things as we close. Number one, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Nehemiah, when the people were really floundered and needed encouragement, what did he do? Remember the Lord. Remember, the, remember what he did for you. Remember how he saved us. Remember his faithfulness. Child of God in this room right now, God sent, God the Father sent his son to die for you. He defeated sin, the death, and the death, and the devil. He's with you. He promised to be with you forever. He will never leave you. He promises to strengthen you, to comfort you, to be merciful towards you. So you can step forward to build and to fight, not in your strength, but in his strength. Folks, pretending that we are strong and okay when we are not, it's not good for us. 
It's actually isolating. It weakens us. But vulnerability and weakness, which leads to a dependence on God, is actually strengthening. That's what the Bible shows us. Vulnerability and weakness lead into dependency on God leads to unbreakable strength. Because it's God's strength. So you can walk forward, all of us. You can go through what God has set before you, which in your strength will be too much for you, but in God's strength it won't be. Not because of your great strength, not because of your great capacity, not because of your great character, not because of your great faith, not because of your great gifting, but purely and solely and exclusively in his strength and his might. That's how we can walk forward into this. Number two, we build and we fight in prayer. We are to pray at all times in the Holy Spirit with all prayer and supplication. We see it through this passage. Nehemiah, he's constantly praying. Just read it again from the beginning. It's constant, constant prayer. And the people, what do they do? They turn to God in the midst of it. What did they do in verse 9? Well, they were watching and they were praying. They were alert to attacks. God has called us. God has called you to watch and pray. Can I ask this to everyone in the room? Are you awake? I don't mean just because I'm maybe talking for half an hour. But are you awake? Christian, are you awake? Are you alert? Are you aware? And let me caveat that by saying we all go through times, don't we, when our attention is not just taken, but I think our attention can be stolen. I know that that's happened in my walk of faith so far. My eyes can be drifted or taken away. My emotions can be numbed by other things, numbed to the gospel because they're drawn to the wrong things. My eyes can be drawn to things outside of God in the wrong way. Is that you this morning? Because here I think is God's call and invitation to turn to him in prayer. I think it's an invitation to say, wake up, wake up, turn to me. Let's draw this line in the sand, wake up, let's move forward. I don't know if you've ever heard the a phrase, prayer warrior. It's used a lot in Christian circles. I became a Christian when I was 28. And there's a lot of language that people use just accept it. And I was like, what, what does that mean, prayer warrior? And it really drew me in. I'm like, what does that mean? Basically, it just means someone who prays a lot. And you know he's going to pray. And it's used in the Christian life for, oh, they're a prayer warrior. Oh, they're a prayer warrior. <laughs> it would be great, wouldn't it, to be called a prayer warrior? I'd look to, like to be called a prayer warrior. Maybe our aspiration as a church should be for every single one of us to be a prayer warrior. Imagine that. Imagine that. And God's, God's word tells us we are to pray for the saints. See, in Nehemiah's day, they would have been so aware, wouldn't they? So aware of who was around them. They just had to look left and right. We see it on the content, on the, in the passage on the wall. They were looking left and right. They were right close. And Nehemiah said to them, look left and right. They saw them work. They saw the struggle. They saw the fear. They saw the family dynamics. They saw the community dynamics in the different sections of the wall. And they prayed for each other. Folks, we have this same setup ourselves. We know. If you don't know, and you, right now in your head you're thinking, I don't think I know what's going on with the people around me. Can I, can I invite you in? Welcome. Come in. We love you. Come and be part of our church. Come and be part of our family. And I know from knowing a lot of the people in this room, you know what's going on in the people around the room. We do, we know. So let's be a people of prayer. Let's pray for each other. But we're also called to pray for all believers in, in all places. 
I went on Monday night to the, the cross-cultural mission prayer evening that they had when they were gathering to pray um, for those people who were either considering um, going on, on cross-cultural missions or we've got connections with as a church. And I have to say, it was what a blessing. What a blessing. How good it was for my heart to sit there. It was in a, in a front room of Dan and Ali's house, sit there, um, people on the floor, people on the couches, Bibles open, hearing from people all over the world. And we prayed in Liverpool for brothers and sisters in Romania, for brothers and sisters in Uganda, for brothers and sisters in India, for brothers and sisters in China. It was boss. It was incredible. It was good for my heart. It was good for me to hear and to see other people around us praying. Can I invite you, seriously, if you feel that you need waking up in your faith, open yourself up to these opportunities. It is where God does a work in our hearts. He stirs up our heart with a love for the nations, with a love for the people, with a love for the people who we are sending to pray for other believers. Thirdly, we build and fight through the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit, the Bible tells us, is the Word of God. So in Nehemiah's day, they were, they were dressed and they were ready for action. They were alert and they were watchful. They had swords in their hands and they had swords at their sides. Folks, the safest place for us to be is to be in God's Word, loving God's Word, living God's Word. Are we growing in our understanding, our knowledge, our application, our living out of God's word? Are you learning daily about your heavenly father? Are you learning daily about his beautiful, redeeming son? Are you learning daily about the gift of God, the Holy Spirit who lives within you? Are we learning about his character, his plans, his promises? Can you stand in this truth? Can you defend this truth? Can you speak the gospel in a way which is loving and edifying to the people around you? And again, can, can we begin today? What a great place to start today. Maybe start yourself this week, just opening up God's word and seeking to learn one thing each day about God. Maybe you could meet up with someone this week. Just say, would you mind meeting up? Either just to read with someone you know who's struggling or just to say, look, I'm not sure how to do this. Someone in the gospel community, would you mind meeting up with me and just, can you help me figure out how to read God's word? Come to some of the equip sessions that we do. Maybe arrange it before you go home today. There's people in church now, before you go back and say, look, can we meet up? When can we do this? It'd be great. Can we set some dates in the, in the calendar? Can we meet up with a few of us and open God's word up and see what God does? Because it's through God's word, opening God's word, being shaped by God's word, that God actually trains us and prepares us for the battle we're in. That's quite clear from God's word. Read Ephesians 6 when you get home later on. It's how God makes us useful for the battle in many ways. And fourth, are we dressed and ready for action? Folks, for the people in Nehemiah's day, it wasn't easy. One of our elders, Luke, he's a builder, and we were chatting about this. And he was saying what they were doing was incredibly hard. Incredibly hard and incredibly dangerous. That's leaving out the, the swords and the spears and the attacks. Just what they were doing with the wall was hard and dangerous. They were not expecting it to be easy. They were expecting it to be difficult. 
See, our expectation shouldn't be, and our drive shouldn't be for comfort or security, or can I even say this, folks? Hear me when I say this. Our expectation should not even be for safety. Our expectation, if we know that we're in a spiritual battle, should be that it's going to be difficult, and we are called to carry a cross in God's strength. So we step forward in God-trusting, prayer-saturated, word-motivated action. God-trusting, prayer-saturated, word-motivated motivated action. Because we can talk about this all day. I can stand up here all day. We can pray all day, but we are called to put this into action. We are all part of God's eternal building project. Young, middle-aged, older, single, married, divorced, widowed, new Christian, long-time Christian. We're all together in this. And we all, every one of us, have, has a part to play. I was on the phone to a, a, an older brother in Christ, I will call him, who's, I love dearly. He's going through a tough time in many ways. And he's 78 years old. I was speaking to him last week. And he was telling me that in 13 months' time, I think it was 13 months, he's going to be 80 years old. And this is what he said to me. I'm really excited because that's when Moses did his best work for God. That's boss, isn't it? I'm really excited because that's when Moses did his best work for God at the age of 80. What a great attitude. What a great attitude. God has work for every single one of us to do. Are you ready for action? Are you? And of course, that's going to look differently to, to all of us throughout our lives. But let me, let me ask this. What is the God trust in prayer-saturated, word-motivated action that God is calling you to? Is it praying? At your stage of life, that's what you can do. Praise God. Pray with everything that you have. Is it planting a church? Is it gathering people to pray and praying with others to encourage people? Is it stepping towards people in love and encouragement? Is it stepping into service in the life of the church? Is it going to another country, to another people group that don't know the Lord? Is it taking responsibility to host people? Is it offering to help in some area? Is it just blessing people with what you have because God's given you a lot? Is it being on a church plant team? Is it joining a cross-cultural missional team? Is it stepping into some of the social justice things that we're going to be bringing over the next few weeks and that Sarah spoke about today? Gathering people to read God's word in gospel community is a stepping towards the poor and needy. What is, folks, the God trusting, the prayer saturated and word motivation action that God is calling you to? Cornerstone Liverpool, we are the gathered people of God right here, right now. And what God calls us to and what this city needs is to be united in our building, to be bold in our proclamation of the gospel, not fearful, but bold, to be self-sacrificial in our living and to be self-sacrificial in our giving, to be radical in our mission, to be a people ready to go and not just a people ready to go, but to be a church that is ready to send until the last trumpet sounds and God calls his people together for that last time for all eternity. Let me pray.
Father, I thank you so much for your word to us. Father, I thank you that we find ourselves in passages of Scripture which I believe can challenge us in different ways. Father, I pray that you would take these words that we have read today and that by your Spirit you would make what is right and holy and true that I have said about them and, and, and place it deep into people's hearts. Father, I pray that you would help us to be a people who trust you, a people who are drawn to prayer, knowing that we are in a spiritual battle, but knowing we are on the winning side, whose eyes are drawn towards the end of time reality to see what it is that we have in front of us. But in light of that, in light of what is being achieved at the cross, to live lives right here, right now. Father, by your spirit, move in our hearts. Father, help us to see and to grow and to understand and to apply your word in the way that you call us to. Father, help us to walk towards people and with people who may be struggling in this church, in this area. Father, help us not just to be people who just are inactive, but are people who step forward in all of this. Make us a church who acts because of the prayers that we pray and the burdens that you give us. Move us, I pray. Amen. We're going to spend some time now taking communion together. Please, I would ask that you remember that this is, this is part of what we are hearing. The people of Nehemiah's day were so interesting. The, the gathering of God's people was a tool in the battle. It was a means by which they could rally together to gain strength together. And this is what we do. So we gather here on a Sunday morning as a people. What are we doing? We're remembering God. We're reminding each other that we no need to be afraid this week as we step into it. Why? Because of God. Let's remember what he's done for us. So when we say remember God, remember what he's done for you. As you hold this bread and this wine in your hands, remember what he did. Jesus Christ came for you. He lived for you. He died for you and he rose again for you. You're a child of God. Your sins have been removed. As far as the east is from the west, they are gone. You are redeemed. You are pure. You are holy in his sight. And you have a fresh start every single day. This is another fresh start. To call out to God and to say, help. Help me. Help me. Give me the strength to walk through this week. Give me the strength to, to move into some of these things that you've laid on my heart. And as we take the cup, we, we remember that we are going to be with him at the end of time, celebrating for all eternity. And we ask that he would fill us up with such boldness and conviction to move in these areas. This is a continuation of what we've been hearing. This is a way that we get to fight the spiritual battle, to remember our God, to gather as a people, look left and right. Who are we with? It's family. Who do we see when we look left and right? Brothers, sisters, family members. And we sing together. It's part of this spiritual battle, songs of victory. We pray together. We hear from God's word together. We gather in this spiritual battle. So as you take this bread and this wine, if you're not a believer, please let this pass. The Bible says that this is for those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But as a believer, as you take this, let's be reminded of that and ask for God's strength to step forward into the battle that he calls us to.